Ruth chapter 3, page 414, if you're using the Pew Bible. Ruth chapter 3. So in the book of Ruth, we have seen Ruth cling to Naomi to come back to Bethlehem from the land of Moab. She being uh, from Moab decides to stick with her mother-in-law. They come back to Bethlehem. Chapter 2, Ruth goes out to the fields of Boaz. Boaz welcomes her, gives her assurance that she uh, will have all that she needs in his fields, doesn't need to go anywhere else. She may gather uh, during the barley harvest and have all that she needs. She may go to his well and drink uh, from his water. He will, uh, she will not receive any mistreatment at the hands of Boaz's workers. And that brings us then to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. This is God's holy word. Let's give our attention to its reading. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you, where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself, and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down... Note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you ask or whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the green pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, Something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, got up before anyone could be recognized, And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Isn't it true that oftentimes in a workplace or in a work setting, uh, it doesn't necessarily run the most efficient way possible? Something that can get a little bit clunky in the workplace is having multiple supervisors and multiple people that you report to. Sometimes the chain of command can get a little bit confused and uh, it can make things go a little bit more slowly uh, when projects are supposed to get done or that kind of thing. Not everything's streamlined in every single office or workplace. But there is somewhat of an advantage at certain times. Uh, We often, if we're in that kind of a situation, we will get to know the people that we have to report to. And you will know which one you would prefer to go to if you need a couple extra days to finish a project. It's not quite done. You know which one might be more friendly to uh, give you some grace and extend your deadline. If you need an extra vacation day that year, for whatever reason, you probably know which one, which supervisor would be uh, more, would be friendlier to that request as well. I had uh, multiple supervisors when I was growing up. I called one mom and I called one dad. And if you put a hole in a wall, uh, you knew which parent you should go tell. But if you needed some extra cash to go out to eat with your friends, uh, I knew which parent I was supposed to go to in that situation uh, also. The point is that we evaluate character traits. And when we need to go to someone, we we think about their personalities. We think about uh, their goodness. We think about the kind of person uh, they are. And that determines where we go, when we go to them, what kinds of things we ask of them. In Ruth chapter 3, we see a wonderful picture of faith and confidence, both in Ruth and Naomi. And they are filled with faith and confidence to carry out this unexpected, in many ways, shocking plan to try and provide a husband for Ruth. But they are filled with faith and confidence because of the man of the story. The man of the story is Boaz. And what we know from the book of Ruth is that Boaz is a good man. And since Boaz is good, they can go to him as a redeemer. Since he is good, they can have confidence that he will be their redeemer. Let's think about those things as we consider Ruth chapter 3 this morning. It's important to consider the whole purpose of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is obviously getting us to the end of the story, which is about how King David is born. And Ruth, of course, is in the time of the judges. And and one of the, the cries of the book of Judges is that there is no king in Israel. And everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. The narrator of Judges is kind of using that in two different ways. The first way is that Israel has rejected God as their king. And if Israel was truly submissive to God as their king, then people would not be doing what is right in their own eyes. They would be doing what is right in God's eyes. The other way that the narrator of Judges is using that is to say, if there were a righteous human king, a good king, perhaps a king after God's own heart, then that would go a long way to solving the problem of Israel's constant rebellion in the time of the judges. 
Israel needs a leader who wants to serve God and puts the people of God on that same path. And so it's easy to see why the grand purpose of Ruth fits into that story. Ruth is about how God saves his people through King David in the time of the judges. He provides for them uh, just a few generations down the line this king after God's own heart. And the book of Ruth Specifically, the story about Naomi and her family and then Ruth as she clings to her to go to Bethlehem. Uh, Naomi is on a mission to provide a home for Ruth, as we read at the beginning of chapter 3. That word for a home, should I not find you a home, is really the word for rest. It's the Hebrew word Manoah. Noah, of course, is a form of that word rest. Noah is a figure who uh, gives rest to the righteous people of the earth. Noah lives in a world of, of great evil and rebellion against God. God cleanses the world of that evil and provides for Noah and his family a new world, a world of rest. Manoah is also, if you remember, that's the name of Samson's father, Again, you see that theme come back up. And Samson is connected to King David because remember in Judges it says, Samson will be the one who begins to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And he begins that process by winning great victories over the Philistines, mostly single-handed. And even through his death, he wins a great victory over the Philistines. But he only begins that process. And of course, King David is the one who finally gives Israel rest from the hand of the Philistines. He slays Goliath, the giant, and the Philistines flee uh, before the Israelites. And so that's when, we, when uh, we read that Naomi wants rest, Manoah, for Ruth. What she's saying, or what that, that uh, means for us, is that she's wanting security for Ruth. Tranquility, peace, comfort. These are the kinds of things in that context that for a woman like Ruth, a widow, a young widow, it could only be provided through a husband. The idea of rest, security, and tranquility, that which is most lacking for Ruth, will be found through a good man willing to be her husband. So that leads us up to verse 2. And we come to know about this surprising plan, this scheme that Naomi has devised or come up with. It's not a timid scheme, is it? It's very bold. It's an extremely bold scheme. Something that really would not have taken place. It would not have been commonplace uh, in that time and that part of the world. But it's also been suggested that because of the unique nature of the way this plan unfolds of Ruth going to Boaz under the cover of night and some of the things that transpire. Some people have suggested that this episode is colored with sexual innuendo or perhaps Ruth is being intentionally seductive towards Boaz. We should consider that. What might we say to some of those comments? Well, first, it's important to note that Naomi's plan is not for Ruth to appear unattractive to Boaz. She is told uh, to wash, to apply perfume, which at that time would have been probably uh, perfumed olive oil. We read in our translation, it says, put on your best clothes. Now, that's probably not the 
the best way to translate that. It's possible that what Naomi is telling Ruth to do is to put on uh, regular clothes. It's possible that Naomi or that Ruth was still wearing a, a widow's kind of clothing that she was uh, back then, particularly with an untimely death, a widow would wear uh, clothes of mourning to show those around her that she is in a stage of grief and mourning. And it's very possible that Ruth, even when she was working in the fields of Boaz there at the first part of the book of Ruth, she's still wearing her clothes of mourning. And so it's possible Naomi is saying to her, put on regular clothes and then go to Boaz, which tells us something perhaps about the story. Perhaps one of the reasons that Boaz has not made any advance towards Ruth, that could have been what Naomi was perhaps expecting that to happen at the end of chapter 2, that Boaz would, would uh, deepen that relationship with Ruth on his own initiative. But perhaps Ruth was wearing clothes of mourning, and Boaz, being a good man, didn't want to overstep his bounds. We also learn later on in this story that uh, there is someone who is nearer of kin even than Boaz. And so being a good man, he didn't want to uh, get involved before it was his time to do so. Much has also been made, though, of the instruction for Ruth to uncover the legs of Boaz as some kind of uh, sexually suggestive move by Ruth. Uh, back then, that time of the world, prostitution was certainly commonplace, the oldest, one of the oldest occupations uh, for human civilization. And it would not have been unheard of for a prostitute to make these kinds of aggressive advances, particularly in a situation like this. So Boaz is at the threshing floor, and we read that he's sleeping next to the barley that he's threshing. What's going on there? Well, back then, it, there weren't security cameras, and there wasn't uh, advanced ways of guarding your possessions. And so a farmer, when he's at harvest time and he's threshing the barley... And uh, he's there working and there's this big pile of all that he's going to be able to sell and provide for his family and uh, for his household. Well, you're going to be put at great risk if you just let that sit there overnight. And so they would literally work till the moment that they were going to sleep and sleep on the threshing floor right next to uh, the fruit of their labor. And it perhaps would not have been unheard of, particularly in the time of the judges in Israel at that time with all the rebellion and the the moral bankruptcy, that perhaps a prostitute would know that a farmer would be out and she might make an aggressive move that kind of way. And so the uncovering of the legs, going out to Boaz at the threshing floor, much has been made of that, but this is not some kind of seductive scheme by Ruth and Naomi. The uncovering of the legs, as we'll come to find out later on, is just simply, it's so that Boaz would wake up. This would be early springtime or or mid-springtime, the harvest there, uh, the wheat and barley harvest, this this part of the world. And uh, being that it would be cool at night to uncover his legs would be to ensure that at some point he's going to get cold and he's going to wake up. So this is not some kind of plan for Ruth to seduce Boaz. We also have to ask, what is Naomi's purpose? Why does Naomi want Ruth to do this? If she were to get involved in some kind of extramarital affair with Boaz, that would only complicate her life. It would only complicate Ruth's life. And, And that would probably make Boaz embittered toward Ruth at some point. Those kinds of things 
don't generally work out in life. You also have to consider why they chose to go to Boaz. And this is really what unfolds the picture of the Savior in this this chapter. Why was Naomi confident that she could send Ruth to Boaz under the cover of night and they would be alone, one-on-one, at the threshing floor and Boaz would not misinterpret the, the actions of Ruth? He would not take advantage of Ruth? He would not abuse her in any way? Why? Because she's confident in the goodness of Boaz. It's the virtue of Boaz as a good man that gives Naomi the assurance that she needs to go through with this plan. And with that, we can consider then the good redeemer. The good redeemer. What are some of the possible reactions that Boaz would, uh, could have had as this scheme unfolds. Well, the the first possible reaction is that uh, he would wake up and probably be a little bit groggy in the middle of the night. It says that he went to sleep in good spirits. That doesn't mean he went to sleep in some kind of drunken stupor, but he probably was worn out from a day's work. He ate a good meal and enjoyed some some good refreshing drink and went to sleep. Could be that he wakes up in, in the grogginess of the middle of the night Uh, sees a woman there, sees it as some kind of temptation, and falls into that temptation, right? He could misinterpret the actions of Ruth. That would be out of character for Boaz, and he doesn't do that. Another possible reaction is that he sees it as a sexual advance, but he becomes angry at Ruth. He says, you are not the kind of woman I thought you were. And he sends her away, and he shames her. If that were the case, he no longer would let Ruth work in his fields. All of the blessing that Ruth has had uh, because of Boaz, giving her everything that she needs in terms of food and protection at this point, Uh, all that would be lost to her. The last possible reaction is that he would see this exactly as Ruth and Naomi intend. As a surprising, but a humble request or demand for redemption. You are good. You are a good man. Be the kinsman redeemer that God has called you to be. And indeed, it is a stunning demand or request that Ruth makes to Boaz when he sees her and he awakes. Verse 8 brings about what we had mentioned earlier. It says that something startles Boaz, really, is that he's chilled. He becomes cold because his feet and probably parts of his legs are uncovered. So he is cold, he wakes up in the middle of the night, he notices a woman by his feet, he asks who it is. Ruth says, I am Ruth, your servant. But her concern is not who she is. Her concern is who Boaz is. I am a servant, but you are a kinsman redeemer. And her plea to Boaz, her request, her demand, is that Boaz would act in accordance with who he is. This is obviously remarkable for many reasons. What Ruth says, spread the corner of your garment over me, for you are a kinsman redeemer. It's notable because Ruth acknowledges, I'm just your servant. I don't have any power or authority in this relationship and in this exchange. You are the one who has all of the power and all of the authority. She willingly acknowledges that. And yet, nevertheless, she makes this stunning request or even demand. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me. Now, this is a 
This would be a symbolic rite at that time. That would be something that would actually happen. A man would spread the corner of his, of his outer garment uh, over a woman or her feet in order to symbolize something like an engagement. It's a promise of marriage. The word for garment gives the image of a wing. And so in that image, a woman would come under the wing of protection of a man. That shows us one of the ways that familial protection is a lot like the protection we receive from God, our Heavenly Father. Under his wings, you will have refuge. Under his wings, he will gather you. It's also possible that uh, functioning that way, Ruth is also very cold. Boaz gets cold at the threshing floor. He wakes up. Ruth is sitting there. She had some kind of garment on, but uh, she certainly was probably just waiting for Boaz to wake up, and she's probably cold. Spread your garment over me. Uh, Give me some warmth. But this request of a kinsman redeemer, what, what what is that and where does that come from? The idea of a kinsman redeemer is a combination of two laws in Old Testament Israel. The first law is that of property redemption. So if a family member dies, a brother or a cousin, and a lot of his property needs to be sold off in order to provide for those in his life that he leaves behind, Relatives were to work to make sure that the property would not stay outside of the family for too long. So if, uh, if cousin Joe dies, then cousin Jim needs to try to work to buy back that farm eventually so that it's not uh, always outside of the family. Property redemption. The second law is that of leveret marriage. If a man dies without leaving any children behind... If that man has brothers, then one of the brothers is to take that woman to himself and try to have children so as to continue the family line in the stead of his brother. So it's a combination of those two laws that God had in Old Testament Israel. But in this particular situation, Boaz is not obligated with the force of law to take Ruth unto himself. It's not as if God has commanded Boaz in this situation. These laws somewhat apply, but as often happens in life, a law does not directly apply to the situation. So the question for Boaz, whether or not he'll be a kinsman redeemer, is not what is legal or illegal, it's what is right and wrong. And we are often called to live that way in our lives. There isn't an explicit law governing every single second of everything that we do. And if we are to live lives that are pleasing to God, we ask the question more often than what is legal and illegal, we ask the question, what is right and wrong? And what's right for Boaz becomes clear. And why Boaz does what is right is because he is good. And that's why he teaches us about our Savior, Jesus. Since we've come to know Boaz in the book of Ruth, We've seen him as a servant of the Lord. Remember, he goes out to his workers in the field. He says, the Lord bless you. And his servants know how to respond. The Lord also bless you. He is good. He is a good man. So being a good man, he does not misinterpret Ruth's actions here as some kind of sexual advance. He does not take advantage of her. He acts perfectly in accord with how we would hope, given what he has done so far in the book. So he first blesses Ruth. The Lord bless you, my daughter. He commends her for the courage that she has shown 
and for the love that she has shown really for Naomi, that's how he interprets it, that what you are doing is so selfless in seeking the good for your mother-in-law, trying to redeem the family, you being from Moab, coming to us, casting your lot with our God, saying that you will entrust yourself to the God of Israel, and saying that you will work for the redemption of Naomi's family. He says, you are to, to be commended for the goodness that you have shown. And then he promises her that no matter what happens, she will be redeemed. He says, there, there is one relative who's nearer of kin than I am. And so I must, being a good man, I must give him the opportunity to redeem. But if he does not, I give you my word that I will. And he confirms it with an oath. It all unfolds exactly how Naomi would have hoped and could have hoped. And it's because Boaz is a good man. So what? What does all of this mean for our lives? What does this mean in the the context of the sweep of Scripture? Well, the first thing to to consider from Ruth chapter 3 is that the salvation of Israel and the salvation of the whole world is unfolded partially right here at the threshing floor. You can go back to that scene in the wilderness, Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah, three widows with nothing and really no hope of a stable life, no hope of any kind of uh, abundance that they would experience in their life, humanly speaking. There in the wilderness, uh, Naomi has decided to go back to Bethlehem and she tells her daughters-in-law, go back to Moab. And there's that almost pathetic scene with these three women almost devoid of hope. And Ruth clings to her mother-in-law. Things begin to change. And we go through a couple chapters later. Here we are at the threshing floor. And the whole history and the salvation of Israel and the world hinges on this scene. Just a few generations on from the marriage that Ruth and Boaz will have, King David will emerge. And several generations later from the line of King David, Jesus of Nazareth will emerge. David redeems Israel and delivers Israel. Christ redeems all of God's people from every corner of the world. The salvation of the world hinges upon this scene, reminding us that God brings salvation where and when we least expect it, because he is a mighty God. He is a powerful God, unfolding his purposes. Secondly, we see in Naomi a picture of the confidence that God is at work. She doesn't necessarily know exactly how this is going to unfold, but she looks at the way her life is now and she says, what is the wise thing to do? How can I make a good decision, a wise decision, trying to work for the redemption of my family? I'm going to trust that the God of Israel is at work in my life because he has not called me home yet. He has left me on this earth, though he has taken my husband, though he has taken my sons. He has not finished working with me, and so I am going to trust myself to him and trust myself to him and do what I think is wise. She's confident that God will work out his purposes in her. In Ruth, we see a picture of faith and a picture of love. She goes to the Redeemer, You can think about the fact she probably was filled with all kinds of of nervousness, of fear, 
uh, even though she knew Boaz was a good man, you can imagine her heart must have been pounding as this is going on. Naomi, back at home, probably wasn't sleeping a wink. She probably stayed up that whole night waiting for Ruth to hear how it has gone. But she is filled with faith and confidence of the Redeemer. Boaz is a good man. She can go to him. You also see the picture of faith in Ruth, that she has a desire to be dependent rather than self-reliant. That's a picture of the faith that we have in Christ. To go to Jesus Christ and to say, in you I find the salvation that I need. In you I find the forgiveness that I need. And when we entrust ourselves to him, that's a desire to be dependent rather than self-reliant. I can't depend upon myself to save myself. I need Christ as the Savior. We also see Ruth's faith as a picture of self-denial. Again, the further unfolding. She did not stay in Moab. She did not selfishly go back and try to search for a husband amongst her own people. She said, I'm going to go with Naomi and I'm going to to hope for the redemption that comes for me and for her. So she's a picture of faith and also love. She loves her mother-in-law and uh, is hoping for her redemption as well. So as we close today, then let's think about a couple of, of applications. A lot of them are, are kind of right there, and we, we mentioned them. But the first is this, that God has redone, re- designed redemption. He has designed forgiveness. Think about when Ruth says to Boaz, you are a kinsman redeemer. Act as a kinsman redeemer. When she says that, What she's leaning on are those two laws that God had given to Old Testament Israel. Property redemption, to bring things back into the family, and leveret marriage. If a husband dies and there are no children, then a relative, someone close of kin, is to to work to try and continue the family line. So, So Ruth says, this is the way God wants it to be. Boaz, you act in accordance with how God has designed it. The same way we can say that God has designed redemption. Our problem, if we liken it to Ruth's problem, our problem is sin. Our problem is that our sin has estranged us from God. It has separated us from God. It has made it impossible for us to be with our God forever. But God has made a way in a way that is stunning to people when they begin to grasp it, when they begin to grasp what God has actually done, making a way for forgiveness. And so the same way that Ruth is filled with confidence in Boaz, sinners can be filled with confidence, even though, like Ruth, we really have no reason to be confident other than God's design. And we can go before the God of the universe as sinful creatures, and we can beg forgiveness and trust the the way of redemption that God has made. And the book of Hebrews says we can boldly go before the throne of grace, confidently, because we have a high priest who provides for us forgiveness, because we have his blood that cleanses from every sin and stain. And so just as Ruth is stunningly filled with confidence in her Redeemer, so we as sinners can be filled with confidence in our Redeemer. To even appear before the presence of a holy God, 
the God of gods, the King of kings, the creator of the universe, who cannot stand to be in the presence of sin. And yet, nevertheless, he delights to cleanse us from our sin through the work of Christ. We're filled with confidence that this is what God does. Jeremiah Burroughs writes this prayer, and I think it it fits well. He says, Lord, you have given me a portion in this world. You have given me credit and a reputation among others. But what is all this to me if I am without Christ? If I do not have the one who gives grace to my soul, the one who is my all in all. Lord, you have taught me this day that the distance between you and me is so great that without a mediator, I perish forever. So whatever else you deny me, give me Jesus. I could have everything in this world. I could have riches beyond my wildest dreams. I could have possessions. I could have all the pleasures that this life would provide. But if I do not have Christ, I do not have anything. And so we go with boldness and confidence, but we also go with a burning desire to have that Christ who gives us the ultimate redemption that we so desperately need. And Ruth paints that picture for us. And then finally, Boaz is a good redeemer and Ruth can go to him. But Jesus is a better redeemer. Jesus is a better redeemer and thus it stands to human beings to go to Christ and to go to him and to make sure that we are entrusting all of our lives, all of our futures, all of our faults to him. Human marriage brings good things. It brings real security. God blesses us through human marriage. But being part of the bride of Christ brings a security that is unmatched. All of those who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, all of those who look to him for who he is and what he gives to sinners are made part of the bride of Christ uh, who will be part of this, this heavenly Marriage, this eternal blessedness that gives security that is unmatched by anything this world can offer. Secondly, to go to Christ has no possible downfalls. We talked about the the possible reactions that Boaz could have had. And Boaz, of course, is a good man. And God was always going to unfold his purposes the way that he did. But in human terms, uh, Boaz is not perfect Boaz is, is not himself perfectly holy. And so there's all kinds of different reactions that Boaz might have had. But in Christ, to all who come to Christ humbly, in faith and repentance, he will not deny to grant salvation and forgiveness. To go to Boaz, there's possible downfalls. To go to Christ, there is no possible downfall. And so we go to him. And then finally, Naomi, as Ruth goes back and, and Boaz blesses her with this large portion of, of barley as a sign of his, in good faith of the way that he seeks to bless her and redeem her, Naomi gives uh, Ruth assurance. You can, you can sit and wait because your Redeemer is going to take care of everything. So there is a sense in which we can wait patiently Because our king is reigning, our high priest is interceding for us at the right hand of God, and we are called to live in faith and to patiently await for him 
to work out all of his salvation purposes in the world, knowing that he will hold us until that last day. So we can patiently wait for our full and final redemption. Why? Because our Redeemer is pleading for us. He's interceding for us. He's working out all of God's purposes for us. And so just as Ruth could rest with assurance that she would be redeemed. That's what Boaz says. Either way, I'll leave it to this man first. If he wants to redeem, then fine. But if not, then I will redeem you. So Ruth has this assurance that she will be redeemed. She will have and know a husband and know that security that seems so unlikely. So with us, our Christ, our Savior, is working out his purposes and he is bringing all of these things about not only for the sake of his glory but for the sake of our eternal joy and blessedness. But we are not called to sit and wait, are we? We are called to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. So even while we patiently wait and even while we recognize that it's not given to us to move the wheels of history, it's given to God It's given to Christ to reign and to rule. Nevertheless, God says, be busy about the work of the Lord. Abound in the work of the Lord, for in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There's that wonderful picture of Ruth going to Boaz saying, I am your servant, please redeem me. And the assurance that Boaz gives to her is, I will not only work to redeem you, I will serve you. I will become like your servant. That's really the the, the amazing picture of Boaz is that he, as the master over Ruth, says, I will become your servant and I will serve you for your redemption. So Jesus has shown us that he will do the same. He has taken on the form of a servant and he gives us the promise, especially to those who are busy about the work of the Lord. He has given his promise that when he comes again, he will serve us at the marriage feast of the Lamb. So Luke chapter 12 says this, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, That if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So just as Ruth has, ask yourself, have I gone to the Redeemer? Have I entrusted myself to him? Am I reliant not upon myself, but I'm trusting in his perfect work? Because of his goodness, I can have confidence that he is working out all of his purposes in me. And because I can be confident in that and patiently awaiting his arrival and our full and final redemption, am I making sure that I am awake, that I am busy about the work of the Lord, that I am serving him, knowing that I am his servant, so that I can know and be assured that when I see and I meet my Savior, I can be one of those servants who is busy about the work of the kingdom, serving our God, faith, hope, and love, loving our neighbor in whatever way God brings them into our path so that we may glorify him, so that we may silence the voice of our accusers uh, who would mock us, who would belittle our faith, so that we can always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we give you all thanks and praise and adoration. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, we thank you for being a good Redeemer. We come to you out of our bondage, out of our sorrow and our night. We entrust our future to you. We entrust uh, all that we are to you. And we ask, oh Father, that you will awaken by your spirit. You will awaken us to this truth of our sinfulness and our needing you. How desperately we need you and your grace and Jesus Christ and his work. So we come. We come to the Redeemer. We trust him. For the first time, for the thousandth time, we entrust ourselves to him. We ask that you would preserve us in that faith unto the last day, unto our dying breath, or until Jesus comes again. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.